0: Oh, hi, Mark. We need to cut and start. I'm not doing this, Will. I deal with this on a daily basis. You are bringing this energy into a new place that I was not looking for it. Ugh. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing great now that that just happened. <laughs> I don't know if you actually realize how often I get that.
1: I don't think I did.
0: Yeah. I had one coworker that said that every day when I walked in. That is not ideal. Yeah.
1: Anyway, hello. Hi. So what I want to know is, today we're doing an episode on one of the most legendarily bad movies that's ever been made. And what I want to know is, besides that movie, because we'll get plenty of time to talk about that, what is the worst movie you've ever seen?
0: We've covered some doozies on this show.
1: Oh, are you going to say The Spirit of Christmas?
0: (laughs) That is exactly what I was thinking. It is definitely up there among movies that made me the maddest. Like, I ended up having less fun watching that than I do something like The Room. Also set in San Francisco, just like this movie. Oh, yeah. But Spirit of Christmas, definitely pretty high standard for bad Christmas movies. Dead-eyed actors, plot holes, nothing going on. Hey,
1: that hot ghost was killed by rum runners because he wanted to stop running rum.
0: Yeah, that hot ghost from the 20s with an incredibly modern haircut. Yeah, Yeah, that guy.
1: Well, theoretically, he could get a haircut when he reappears. The question is, would he regenerate the next Christmas with the haircut he had gotten the previous Christmas or with the haircut he died with? Probably the one he died with would be my guess. So many things are unexplored by that movie.
0: Yes, because also, why is he just corporeal for 12 days a year?
1: Because those are the 12 days that he was missing, Mark. It's about the love story. Much like this movie, it's a love story at its core. <laughs> this movie <laughs> is
0: depressingly about love. <laughs> There's so much about love. <laughs> what would you say your favorite non-Burdemic terrible film is?
1: I mean, favorite, I don't know. My favorite bad movie is this one by a month yeah i think i think you are right the worst movie i've seen besides this one is a like 45 minute christian film called pamela's prayer which is a, wait i haven't seen this one it's on youtube in its entirety i strongly recommend it it'll take you less than an hour and basically the thesis of this movie there there are several really one is that you should always pray with your parents before going to bed okay that's thesis one um Number two is that you shouldn't kiss anybody until you're engaged, as we learned in Meet Me in St. Louis.
0: Nice girls don't let men kiss them until after they're engaged.
2: Men don't want the bloom rubbed
1: off. The way this manifests is our main character is this girl, Pamela, who we see grow up, and her mom dies in childbirth, and her dad commits to, like, okay, God, like, I'm going to do right raising my daughter. I will pray with her every night before she goes to bed. This becomes a problem because her dad runs a library specifically of Christian films, and he has to go to a conference to, like, take his company to the next level, but that would mean that he's away for the night so he wouldn't be able to pray with Pamela. But then his dad points out that there's a cool invention called the telephone, which means he could pray with Pamela over the phone. This did not occur to him. Pamela's never allowed to go to a sleepover because then she wouldn't be able to pray with her dad. And ultimately she winds up with a nice boy who works in her dad's Christian video company. And you know, he's a good dude because he says he doesn't want to go to college because he'd rather stay and work for the Christian video company. Oh my God. That sounds worse than Only Once. Only Once is kind of good. It's not. No, it's Will. Not. Um Only Once is another Christian film that uh, my family's really into. It's a 56 minute movie about why you shouldn't have sex. And it has kind of a
2: confusing dual narrative. Have you seen that one, Colin. I have not. I'm not even sure how the Redmans find these things. This one was (laughs) given to us by our neighbors.
1: What about the other one? Pamela's Prayer, um, I forget how we came onto that one. Nobody else in my family has seen that one.
0: I just love that Only Once came into your life through evangelizing. Like, someone (laughs) gave you that movie as evangelizing mission. Specifically,
1: they gave it to Fiona. They were like, Fiona needs this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a read. It's weird. (laughs) That is so shady. We're worried about Fiona. You should check out this movie. There are so many great moments in that one. I mean, that's the one where the girl, like, totally abandons her friends because this dude shows interest in her. And then her friend sits her down and is like, I'm worried that you've totally abandoned your friends. And the main girl's like, yeah, I guess I kind of have. And then her friend goes, but do you love him? And she says, yes. And the friend's like, then it's okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. You can't have any friends if you're
0: in a relationship, obviously. Especially in high school.
1: Especially in high school. Um. Yeah, Colin,
2: what about you? What's the worst movie you've seen besides this one? I think I'm going to go in the opposite direction as you. I'm going to go, go with for a one Satanist with... movie? No, I'm going to go with one that is uh, crass and crude and full of lots of A-list celebs. I'm going to go with Movie 43. Oh. It turns out if you try to make a movie about the world's worst movie pitches... It actually becomes a bad movie. I don't know why they didn't think this one through, but I watched that movie back when I was in college. We were in a big, bad movie phase, and that was one of the most visually offensive things I've ever seen.
1: You didn't like Hugh Jackman with testicles hanging from his chin?
2: Uh, That that was an interesting one. Yeah, that one definitely stuck with me. Or the date where they try and one-up each other with weird dares. That was fun. They change races in that one. Always a dicey proposition. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, Oh, no. <laughs> I've heard of this movie. I know nothing about it besides the fact that it has way too many good actors
1: to have signed on for this movie. Well, I mean, it took like no time to do it because you were in one of the 43 segments. So you would yeah, do like I a guess. day or two on it. That makes sense. Just, throw him a f-
0: <laughs> Just Venmo them a <laughs> few dollars to get one day of work. Yeah. Celebrities use Venmo, right? They must.
2: Yeah. It's the kind of movie where if you look at the starring on Wikipedia, it's... Like, 25 actors and actresses. I want to look up the poster to see the billing
0: order. That must have been a nightmare negotiation.
2: Oh, that's right. It had that horrible poster that
1: looked like a bikini or, like, underwear or something.
2: So I would go with Elizabeth Banks, then? She's top left?
1: Oh, it's alphabetical. Oh. That's the solution.
2: It's the only way you could have gotten that. I mean, I guess if your face is on the poster then
1: yeah, you're a, a little thing. higher up. Yeah, so we've got, in order, Elizabeth Banks, Kristen Bell, Halle Berry, Leslie Bibb, Kate Bosworth, Gerard Butler, Josh Duhamel, Anna Faris, Richard Gere, Terrence Howard, Hugh Jackman, Johnny Knoxville, <laughs> Justin Long, Christopher Mintz-Plass, Chloe Grace Moretz, Leo Schreiber, Sean William Scott, Emma Stone, Jason Sudeikis, Uma Thurman, Naomi Watson, and Kate Winslet. Wow. And the movie is credited as being directed by... Stephen Brill, Will Graham, Steve Carr, Griffin Dunn, James Duffy, Jonathan Van Tulliken, Elizabeth Banks, Patrick Forsberg, uh, notable skisball Brett Ratner, <laughs> Rusty Cundiff, James Gunn, Bob Odenkirk, Steve Baker, Damon Escott, and Academy Award winner Peter Farrelly. Oh, God.
0: Is this any fun to watch, or is it just painful?
2: Uh, That's an interesting question. It depends on uh, if you enjoy pain at all. It's mm. interesting. It's, it's so like, a fun concept. So like for a masochist, it would be good. Yeah, or if you're just trying to check off bad movies on your list.
0: I try not to just watch any movie that is considered bad. I do look
1: into whether it's enjoyable. Right, it needs to Such be
0: Such as fun. this film.
2: Like, I have zero
1: interest in the sequel to this movie, but this one rules. Sequels also bring a whole
0: new element because no sequel to a movie that's so bad it's good is ever good.
1: That's the fundamental problem with the Sharknado franchise is that the sequels are trying to be so bad it's good. I have not seen Birdemic 2 The Resurrection. I think it might be more in this vein, just in that James Nguyen has long maintained that people simply don't get his movie and it is good.
2: Uh i have to disagree that's the
0: only mindset that could lead to a decent sequel right that's the thing you would need is doubling down
1: the one thing that keeps me from watching it is that he intended it to be viewed in 3d and i have never broken down and bought a 3d tv a thing you can no longer purchase in the united states (laughs) can you purchase them elsewhere Yeah, they took off in like japan and some other parts of the world that's crazy
0: I know a couple people that had them and never used the 3D feature
1: once. See, I probably wouldn't have when they were on the market, but I would use it today. For novelty? Yeah, for <laughs> if a movie was meant to be seen in 3D, I would watch it in 3D. So,
0: if someone wants to buy Will a 3D TV, then we can watch Birdemic 2. The Resurrection!
1: And hopefully one day we'll be able to see Birdemic 3, Sea Eagle, if it ever gets made.
0: Is that really what it's supposed to be called? Um...
1: It, it, I want to confirm this. Yes, Demic 3, C Eagle. James Nguyen had an Indiegogo campaign to finance it, but the $500,000 campaign folded after raising $596. $594 were from Will. I wish.
0: <laughs> All right. I think it is time to start talking about this movie. So welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay.
1: And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to examining one of the most important questions facing the world today. Specifically, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even people? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot, or a one-scene flirtation, or if it's the main plot for the first half, and then (laughs) who the heck knows what happens. We will dig in and see what's there. This week, we are joined by our good friend Colin Turgeon to discuss James Nguyen's 2010 opus. Burdemic, Shock and Terror. Hello. So Colin, you had not seen this movie before. No. Just quick takeaway, any any thoughts on it?
2: Uh, this movie is abysmal. The sound quality is bad. <clears throat> the writing is bad. The acting is bad. The visual quality is bad. There, there are very few good things about this movie. The sound mixing to me is what elevates this to art. I
0: think if the dialogue matched up with the actor's mouths the movie wouldn't be as fun as it is.
2: I didn't even notice that until the very end. It's not even that
1: that's the thing. It's the actual sound mix where when the actors are speaking, that mix cuts in and you can hear all this background noise that Nguyen has not bothered to remove. It's most obvious in the first line of dialogue, which comes almost four minutes into the movie (laughs) after a driving montage. He goes into a restaurant and all of a sudden you hear a burst of static A waitress says, Hello! And then it cuts out again because there's all this extra noise that he has not bothered to get rid of.
0: I think I've seen this movie at least five times at this point.
1: I think this was my fourth.
0: (laughs) Then maybe it's four because you and I have watched it. I think I've watched it almost every time with you and a couple times on my own.
1: Yeah, we watched it once together in college, once when we lived together, and then I showed it to some of my younger cousins because I felt like it was important cultural education.
0: I don't know why I love this movie so much. But there's just this undeniable attachment to this film that I feel. It's just magical. It's a magical movie. Every choice they make is wrong. It's just incredible to see wrong decisions being made every step of the way in a process. And no one ever questions
1: it. So, like I said, this movie was written, directed, and produced by James Nguyen, who immigrated to the U.S. from Vietnam when he was a kid, after the fall of Saigon, and then he became a software salesman, not at NCT Technologies, but I imagine at a company much like it. I hope he got his stock option. I hope he got his stock option. (laughs) That is my single favorite scene in the movie, is the clapping scene.
2: It never ends.
1: It doesn't (laughs) end. (laughs) What happens is, he works at this company, he sells software, and they have this meeting where their boss announces that they've been bought by a bigger company, so they're all going to get their stock option. And... It then shows some people in the room clapping, and there's like a normal arc of clapping where people clap, it builds, and then it fades. And then it cuts to another group of people, and we get the clapping that builds and then fades. and it cuts to another group where we get the clapping that builds and then fades. It is as though they shot the scene from multiple angles. And rather than pick different shots to cut back and forth between, Nguyen decided, I want to show all of them.
0: I was watching with Nick while he was doing his work in the room. And I think this is the point where he had to leave the room because it was too distracting (laughs) because it just keeps happening. And he just has to keep looking at me like, what is going on? And I'm dying of laughter. And he's like, all right, I can't do this. And had to go to the other room.
2: Yeah, and then everyone forms kind of a mob and slowly one by one shakes his hand and says, congratulations on the sale. Well, they earned their stock option. Th- this movie is an hour and a half, and it could have easily been about 40 minutes.
1: Yes, but we would lose all of the <laughs> best parts. <laughs> Every
0: shot is held too long. If you just cut the movie like at a more natural place where you don't just hold in silence on two actors looking at each other for four seconds, even that would cut the movie by like 10 minutes.
2: You could easily cut five minutes of driving
1: montages. Mm, those are necessary, Colin. <laughs> Speaking of that, actually only once you could shorten from 56 to like 45 <laughs> minutes if you cut all the motorcycle montages. But anyway, the other big thing that's just adding time is that the actual cutting back and forth in dialogue scenes is always a little bit off. They always wait just a second too long before the next line is delivered.
0: I really don't like being the person watching something like taking in a piece of art and thinking, oh, I could have done this better. Because this is a person I respect who has taken the time and put the energy and resources into creating a piece of art. Watching this movie, however, the whole time, it's just like a mental checklist of things that could have been altered to make the movie feel like a movie. Just like, cut here. Reframe this shot of the news anchor two feet down. (laughs) Like, (laughs) why isn't she centered in the frame? I don't know. (laughs) Because she is when she's alone, but then when they do the picture-in-picture shot, they cut it so that her
1: face is the bottom third of the screen. I think she's sitting in a chair next to one of those TV carts that they would wheel into your classroom. And then we're getting the two of them side by side. Something like that.
0: Uh, I love it. Also, the fact that he's just watching TV on his
1: computer monitor. It's not a (laughs) real TV. There's also the thing where like every outdoor shot is totally washed out. There's a scene where we go outside the main character, Rod's house, and just the way the sun is reflecting light off his white driveway onto his white house. And you just can't see anything. (laughs) And like legitimately, the like crap movies that I was making in middle school and high school look better than this movie
2: yeah i made a note very early on that it seemed pretty similar in uh, quality to something that i shot back in 10th grade for an ap us history project and you know by the end of the movie i kind of felt bad that i was trashing this guy's work so i went back and i watched that video and it turns out they are the exact same quality can you tell us more about this movie what was it about it wasn't a movie it was kind of a spoof on the daily show we called it the Two Daily Show, and it was about the Bill of Rights. And part of it was tracking this guy, Colonel Conservative, who kept infringing on everyone's rights. It was it was bad. It was it was a lot like this movie. Did you play Colonel Conservative? No, I did not. That, that would be my friend who had already nicknamed himself Colonel Conservative. That's unfortunate. Oh. <laughs> so it's worth
1: noting that in addition to writing, directing, and producing, James Nguyen probably did a bunch of other jobs. In the opening credits, when all of those technical jobs go by, most of those are fake names meant to make the movie look more professional by hiding the fact that most of the jobs are done by the same person. So, for example, Nguyen did the editing. He did the visual effects. He wound up doing a lot of these sort of jobs. For example, he did the casting himself. Whitney Moore, who plays Natalie, our female lead, was the makeup designer. The third makeup designer. Yes, because two had quit previously. And she has talked about multiple scenes where she and the guy who plays Rod are holding boom microphones between their knees because they had no mic operator. My goodness gracious. I just... I
0: also had to watch this with subtitles because I couldn't understand what anyone was saying. And even then, the words they say do not make
1: any sense. Oh, well, part of the problem is that James Nguyen is an immigrant to the United States with serviceable, although not good English. And he wrote the movie in the English that he speaks. Unfortunately, he has like an Aaron Sorkin style devotion to the words on the page. And Whitney Moore, who has talked a lot about working on this movie. So she's where a lot of this kind of stuff comes from said that they would ask like, Hey, can we modify this? Can we give a different spin on the dialogue? And he would say no. He insisted that they deliver the lines as they were written.
2: Yeah, I noticed this and I made a, a couple notes. notes. Um, there was one where they're in the motel. I hope I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. But Natalie says, Rod, they're breaking in through the window. And Rod responds with, okay, let's barricaded the bed. Yeah. And I, I replayed this scene like five or six times. I was like, there's no way I'm hearing this right. This doesn't even make sense. What are they talking about? And I ended up having a lot of those in my notes where I would have to pause and rewatch it a couple times and be like, did they really just say that? It's like, I understand where they're going with it. But yeah, the the dialogue was interesting in this movie to say the least.
1: Yeah, the dialogue is a mess. I mean, the graphics are nonsense. Nguyen kept talking <laughs> when they were shooting the movie about like, yeah, I've got this hotshot young VFX guy right out of college. He's going to do the birds for us. They're going to look really cool. And then when the movie came out, people in the cast were like, what happened to the hotshot VFX designer? And he would say, oh, you know, it got too expensive. So I just did it myself. I watched a Vice documentary with James Nguyen that's on YouTube. It's like 25 minutes where he very proudly shows off the software and how he could just click and drag a bird into the shot and change how big it is and move it around. I mean, it's like somebody doing kid pics, dropping these little sprites in.
0: I noticed this time for the first time that the first time the birds appear on screen, which is... 22 minutes in. This is just birds. They're not birds that are attacking or anything. But he has added in these kid picks parrots into a shot. And San Francisco has parrots living in one of its parks. I'm sure there's B-roll out there of parrots somewhere. But instead he has these terrible birds just flying up and down in place. And I do remember noticing that they were parrots and being confused, so I had to look it up why he chose parrots. But even still, the idea of just getting B-roll for a shot where people are looking at parrots in a distance never crossed his mind.
1: But then the parrots wouldn't fly right next to our main characters. They wouldn't have that harmonious moment with birds before the world changes. You know, James Nguyen said that this was based on his three favorite movies. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. He's a big fan of Hitchcock, who he said like himself, primarily made romantic thrillers. Of course, the other big inspiration is An Inconvenient Truth, which the characters in this movie go to see. And the third one, naturally, is Apocalypse Now. Tippi Hedren is the third build of the credits of this
0: movie, just to
1: throw that out there. And it's worth noting, Tippi Hedren did not shoot anything for this movie. She was in a short film that James Nguyen made in 2002, but he loved her so much and loved the birds so much that he has his characters in this movie watch his short film from several years earlier while they have sex, I guess.
2: it's a lot to take in. This movie is
1: just
0: so much. And I just love it so much.
1: Also, if you worked on it, this was your life for most of a year because James Nguyen self-financed it through his day job as a software salesman, which meant he had to be doing his day job. So they filmed only on weekends over the course of seven months.
0: Uh, I also did want to bring up real quick before I forget, Natalie has a modeling job, as she calls it, a lingerie job, and then they cut to a one-hour photo store that is the photo studio, and in none of those shots is she wearing
1: lingerie. Okay, I think Natalie's modeling is really instructive, though, because she's doing her one-hour photo modeling and walks out and gets a phone call that she has booked a job as the cover model for Victoria's Secret. And I think that is instructive on how James Nguyen views success. Like it's always right around the corner. Like the top level of success is almost coming. So he makes this movie. He was originally going to make it in 2006, but his lead actress quit because she refused to stay in a Motel 6 and he couldn't afford anywhere nicer. So they wound up shooting in 2008 when he was able to reassemble all the pieces he needed. Then he makes the movie. He submitted it to Sundance, which rejected it. So in 2009, he goes to Park City himself to promote the movie at Sundance. He drives a like, beat-up van covered in stuffed birds and fake blood, and he just played bird sounds out the speakers of the car, like blasted it, and handed out flyers advertising his movie because he rented out a bar to screen the movie. He also had signs on the side of the car that said, why did the eagles and vultures attack... And Bidemic.com, because there was a typo on it. So he has this screening at the bar, and some people go to it. They think it's a masterpiece of dreadfulness. And they help get him a distributor with this company, Severn Films, which does a lot of schlocky, sexy, bloody kind of movies. And it does really roll out as this already weird, occult, horrible thing. Like, the L.A. premiere was hosted by Tim and Eric. So it, by the time it was coming out, had this fantastical reputation but James Nguyen constantly is like we're gonna make it like this is gonna be the ticket to our success at one point Paramount expressed interest in buying Birdemic and James Nguyen before they had met with Paramount started telling reporters that Paramount had like signed him on to direct a like 20 to 30 million dollar sequel to Birdemic so like I think he is like this character Natalie in the movie who's just like yes of course you do your thing and then immediately you're at the top you're doing whatever you want so
0: Imagine Peace.com shows yes! up prominently in this film. And I had to, like, Google, I at one point I was Googling to find out more about it, like, why it's in the movie. And apparently, according to the audio commentary, Rick, his sex-obsessed friend, and Natalie's best friend, Mai, are supposed to be like John Lennon and Yoko Ono. And that is why they're promoting Yoko Ono's website, ImaginePeace.com. And apparently, the line, imagine all the eagles pecking out your eyes, is supposed to remind us of the song Imagine by John Lennon.
2: Oh, of course! That was somehow the only symbolism (laughs) that he managed to get across to me. I I didn't even think about it. I, I saw them on screen. I'm like, oh yeah, that's John and Yoko. His
0: friend is just the most stereotypical rom-com friend that- They play he, basketball together. They play basketball together, and he says the line, A day without sex is a day wasted. <laughs> and I think they just took his dialogue and put it in the movie They Came Together. The actual character in this film is the exact same as a parody version of the character.
1: I mean, this whole movie kind of feels like a sweeted version of itself. It's like if somebody- said, okay, we're gonna remake the Avengers, only just use boxes instead of superhero suits. Yeah. I think that's one of
0: the things that sets this movie apart, is the quality is such that it feels like a fan remake of a famous bad movie. It is not just a bad version of the birds, it is the bad version of a bad version of the birds.
1: And yet, it's so, so good. I love this movie so much.
0: So... Should we start talking about the romance because that takes up at least the first 45 minutes
1: of the film? Yeah, it's also worth noting that the romance should be really good. James Nguyen trademarked the phrase master of the romantic thriller to refer to himself. Oh, wow. I need to start trademarking things. It sounds like
0: you could just do whatever you want. Pretty much. So anyway, each week we break down the romantic plotline of a film into five distinct points to give us a framework from which to analyze its believability. So, as our guest, Colin, please
2: walk us through the romance of the film Birdemic.
1: Shock and Terror!
2: Alright, so the first point is when they meet in that little cafe at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, so, uh, what do you do? Um, I'm a fashion model. He's just kind of staring at the menu and then staring at her and staring back at the menu. And she eventually finishes her meal and leaves. And he waits 20 seconds, as is customary, and then sprints out of there, running her down. It's worth noting, Alan Bag, who plays Rod, is possibly the worst actor in the movie. Yeah, it's it's really hard to kind of get into his character because he's so weird and so creepy. But this guy is supposed to be really cool and calm and collected. I mean, he even says that he's in sales because it fits his personality. He just looks like he is focusing so hard on doing whatever
1: task he has to do. Like when he's walking down the street, it looks like he's just thinking through his head. Okay, right, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And at one point when he leaves the restaurant to go talk to her, he touches her back.
0: And I like cringed. Just him, like lightly touching her back, made me feel creeped out by this guy.
1: Well, and partly it's because like Whitney Moore is the best performer in the movie, and so the fact that you have to see them together so much, it's just kind of alarming.
0: Excuse me, don't forget about Natalie's mom. Oh yeah,
1: she rules.
2: <laughs> Who I isn't. played by Patsy
1: Van
0: Ettinger. <laughs> I love her so much,
2: Patsy. Yeah, Natalie could. uh, I feel like she could actually be a bad horror movie actress she looked the part she acted the part she was definitely the most talented actor out there so she's a college freshman in this movie wow i'd be
0: curious to see what kind of performance she could give with real direction
1: yeah because i think she could actually be good so anyway uh rod follows her out into the street
2: yeah and and while he's there he's like you look familiar i'm trying to figure out who you are and she's like yeah I, i don't know i i don't recognize you or anything and he's like oh high school, we went to high school together. And she's like, okay, sure. And he just keeps getting more and more specific. It's very clear that he's known who this girl is the entire time. Because he eventually says, we had English class together. I sat two seats behind you. Which is
1: also like deeply confusing because as their conversation goes on, he's like, so are you from around here? And it's like, you went to high school together.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, that's why this guy is just so awkward. I can't buy into the fact that he's cool and... I don't know, but uh, yeah, it it seems like he knows a lot more about her than she knows about him, or at least remembers. I kind of expected there to be some sort of stalker plotline in this movie, based on that first conversation. You mean you couldn't tell that he was the
0: charming everyman whose success we were all hoping for from the very first
1: shot the whole conversation it feels like she is trying to wrap up the conversation so she can walk away
2: and it's partially because he is so wooden and i think she actually does two or three times she wraps it up because i mean in my notes i even have a gap between when the conversation happens and when they do that weird business card exchange (laughs) because she leaves and then he starts walking towards her again and Conveniently, they both have business cards in their hands, and they just exchange them. Colin, that's how people in America
0: go around. Your business card is not just constantly in your hand in case you run into an old
1: acquaintance, Colin. Uh, no. I have never carried business cards. Um, I do carry business card-sized flyers for this podcast that I sometimes hand out.
2: I have a business card for a dog in my wallet. <laughs> what kind of business is the dog in? <laughs> He's just lovable and cute. It's one of those, like... You ever seen those posters where it's like, have you seen this dog? No? Well, now you have. I it's like I have that. not it's... seen these. <laughs> really? Well, this business card is for this big black dog named Heffalump that lives in my neighborhood. The first time I saw him, I thought he was a small black bear, and I freaked out. And his owner came over and then handed me the business card. He's apparently just like a, a lovable oaf. I mean, it... right.
0: you get a free business card for a dog. You obviously have to keep it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I tell this story all the time, so... It's come in handy. I mean, I just got
1: to witness it. So I feel like I've been there all those times you told it. So
0: anyway, they exchanged
1: business cards at the most awkward moment in history that truly disgusted me. And it's all totally washed out because there is no control of lighting in the outdoor scenes. It's also worth noting that they never got shooting permits. So anywhere they were shooting, they were just doing it. And sometimes they would get kicked out. And sometimes James Nguyen would yell at people who walked into the shots. At one point, he yelled at a bunch of people in a park where they were shooting, I'm guessing in the parrot scene, and he was doing it so much that Whitney Moore, to, like, a college freshman, told him he had to stop, and James Doohan responded by refusing to speak to her for three weeks and instead delivering <laughs> all direction through Alan Bag. I just feel so bad for her. Granted, she's done a good job of, like,
0: kind of building a career out of this. Yeah, and she's worked steadily. She's done a lot of TV. Yeah.
2: So did they get paid or something? Yes, but not a lot. Because I just kind of assumed these were just his friends from like his everyday life. No, he held casting
0: sessions in parking lots. Is the casting director a fake person too? I believe so.
2: Most of the crew are fake people. He probably should have spent more time editing the movie and less time making up fake names. I mean, he edited it just like... On his home PC.
1: He shows it off very proudly in that Vice documentary. I also have a thunderstorm going on outside my window. So, I might uh, so be do might that.
2: Alright. So, Colin, what happens in point two? Okay, so point two, he's just made his big sale and she's just gotten her big news about the Victoria's secret cover model thing. Alright, this is not when the company gets bought. This is when he is at work on
1: the phone. He goes from You just got to walk through this sale because he starts off by saying, what would it take to earn your business? Then he says, what about an 80% discount? And then that's it. Then he tells his friend he just made a million dollar sale, which means it should have been $5 million.
2: Yeah, I forgot about that part. I forgot how big of a discount. The, The sale started and it seemed like he was really trying to keep this guy on the phone. I was like, okay, we're getting to know a little bit more about this character. We knew he was weird from the first scene. We know he's still weird because he can't make this sale. Well, and he can an 80% discount. <laughs> and then he talks about the world's biggest sale. He's like, yeah, I just reeled in a whale. Look at this. I just made a $1 million sale.
1: This movie is so impressed with numbers, but has no concept of what any of them mean. So it just throws around big numbers that don't really ever make any sense.
2: Yeah, it felt like Dr. Evil and like the uh, Austin Powers movies. You know, just say a big number and it'll feel impressive and special.
1: And so this is when he then calls her on the phone, right?
2: Yeah, so he calls her up. Great and,
1: 2009 uh, moment. He has an iPhone, she has a flip phone.
2: Yeah, it was a nice uh, little scene there. I made a big sale today. Good, fantastic. Thanks. I uh, closed a big job offer today with Victoria's Secret. Wow, congratulations. I think you'll look great in those lingerie. So he calls her up and he's like, so do you want to get dinner? And uh, I i mean, I still thought that she was going to turn him down. I really still thought that there was going to be some sort of stalker type movie or whatever. It's a um, romantic
1: thriller, Colin. James Nguyen is the master of the romantic
2: thriller. It's trademarked. Oh, I, I just have to point out her ringtone was a bike bell. Yes, it is. I don't know if that was the ringtone or if someone just you know rang a, a bike bell because they couldn't think of a better sound effect. But... No, I think he searched bell in sound effect library and
1: picked the first one.
2: Oh my gosh. So they're on the phone and they just dive right into like how each other's days are going. And it felt kind of weird for what is essentially a first real conversation. I also want to note, actually, I do need to cut in. I'm sorry, Colin. You
1: said they go for dinner. They very specifically go for lunch. Which I want to note only because... He asks
2: for dinner that night, and then they go for lunch.
1: Oh, okay, you're right, I'm sorry. Because they they go on the lunch date and then are together for like 10 hours.
2: Yeah, so uh, they have the weird unnatural conversation. When she mentions that she got the Victoria's Secret model job, he says that she'll look great in the lingerie. While that may be true, that is not okay to say in a first conversation. That is very weird. It's very weird and creepy, and I especially don't want Rod telling me that. I I didn't, yeah, I did not like that scene, and uh, this was actually one of those scenes where I wrote down exactly what they said. Rod said, how about dinner to celebrate your big success? And she says, that was fast. He responds, I know a great Vietnamese restaurant. And then she responds, sounds great. I'll see you then. So they very clearly... (laughs) One, he never tells her where it is or or when it is. He doesn't give a day. He doesn't give a time. He just says it's dinner at this great Vietnamese restaurant. And she says, okay. And they hang up. Maybe like there's only one
1: good Vietnamese restaurant. And she's like, if he's in the know, he'll be there. Like it's a test.
2: Yeah, I I like that idea.
1: If he goes to a different Vietnamese restaurant, then he has bad taste and they're wrong for each other.
2: That's much deeper than I'm sure the uh, actual text in this. Will's subtext is is much deeper than the actual subtext in this movie That's
0: because there is no subtext at any point in this movie because every single thought is made text Especially when we get to the point where it's just a bird scientist Explaining everything that's happening in explicit detail in one moment
2: It's so good And then we also have the the tree man Yeah the tree hugger as the little kid pointed out Wearing a weird wig
0: <laughs> It's such a bad wig <laughs> I love it. It's just like a
1: long black ponytail wig over what's clearly a
2: bald man. (laughs) So I guess this brings us to point three. So point three is their actual first date.
0: Uh, What do you like to do for fun?
2: Watch football, especially the 49ers. Also part-time Eagles fan and a little exercise, tennis. How about you? And as we pointed out, they were supposed to have dinner that night for their date and they then say that the date takes place as lunch on the weekend because he, he plays basketball in between and rod says yeah i'm totally gonna hang out with this really hot chick this weekend for lunch It's us go why, why didn't you show that scene instead where they decided that they were changing it to lunch this weekend the inconsistencies they they really bug me so they
1: go out and like they this is when they go to the park and they see the parrots is this also when they find the dead bird?
2: Uh, No, the, the dead bird is later. That's the next point, I think.
1: But yeah, so they walk past the parrots and they go to an empty club because those are the only kinds of club in this movie. At the end, he takes her home and he tries to go inside and she says she's not that kind of girl.
2: Yeah, she kisses him on the cheek and then he immediately asks to go in. It's like, read the room, dude. <laughs> yeah, she did not make out with you.
1: Yeah. It's not until the next time that they go out that we're hanging out with our family, right? Yeah. It's yeah. It's
0: later. That's after a later date. You mean the best part in the movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, after this date is when we get my favorite scene, which is his company gets sold and they all get their stock option because that's when he then starts his solar panel company. And we're given a timeline on this movie where at one point he says, last week, my company got bought out this week. I got investors for my solar panel company. And at the, his presentation to the investors, he talks about how his company owns a patent for a nanotech solar panel that will be dirt cheap. So somehow like in a one week period, he has revolutionized the solar panel industry and is going to be putting all of his stock option into that because his friend tells him that he should use it to get girls by buying a hot Ferrari. And you know what Rod says to that? She's my hot
2: Ferrari. Yeah, she is. Forgot about that. So romantic. I was going to say, he also says, plus, I love my Mustang. It's a plug-in hybrid. It gets 100 MPG. Yeah. Again, actual quote from the movie.
1: But And that's, again, because numbers are meaningless in this movie. I mean, when he's trying to get investors for his company, he's after like $10 million, which, given the way the stock option situation is described, he should just have.
2: Yeah, it, it's really unclear how much money he actually made with his stock option. I realized that the company was sold for $1 billion, and he says that he has millions of dollars. So presumably he has somewhere between $2 million and $1 billion. He should be able to bankroll his innovative solar
1: panel company. Yeah, especially since it's so cheap. Right. He's talking about how like it's cheaper because it's more energy efficient, but it runs on nanotech. And it's like, Rod, that's where the expense comes in. You got to
2: manufacture that shit. I also thought that's where the birds were going to come in, but they didn't. <laughs> oh, they don't. <laughs> no, you got to wait a solid 45 minutes for the birds. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we do have to backtrack a little bit I I didn't put this in the notes, but I'm going to have a point 3B, which is where Natalie goes to her mom's house just to tell her that... The best character! Natalie's mom is great! She is so happy for Natalie that she got this job, and she can tell that Natalie really likes Rod, which is a major character flaw in my opinion. I really like retirement. I like to travel, I like to cruise, um, and I enjoy watching television.
1: Also, it's worth noting that the mom is... Completely incoherent, as is everyone with regards to Natalie's career. We're told at first that Natalie's mom does not support her modeling and thinks she should become a real estate agent. When we see Natalie and her mom interact the first time, the mom is totally supportive and just mentions real estate could be a good backup, but like not in a snotty way. Meanwhile, Rod had told her to follow her dreams, but then like as soon as the stock option happens, he starts mansplaining her need for a backup plan.
2: <laughs> yeah. This movie's just all over the place. It's really hard to keep track of when things happen and why, because there's no rhyme or reason.
1: Whitney Moore said that they never had a complete script that Nguyen would just hand them chunks of pages at a time. I can see that. I'm sure they shot this movie in order. Yeah, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to edit it. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: Figuring out how to reorder things? That's asking a little much.
2: I'm assuming that's why they didn't reshoot any scenes either. (laughs) All right. So, shall
0: we... So they've had their first date. Should we go to their next unspecifiedly long relationship that is all summed up into one, like, five-minute
2: sequence? Is it one date? Is it many dates? I don't know. I was trying to keep track of the timeline here so that I would know if it was believable or not. And I kind of got mixed signals from the movie because when they're playing basketball, he talks about how hot it is. And it's crazy that there's a heat wave because it's winter. And then, point number four, they go to this pumpkin festival. So that's presumably nine or ten months later. So that was not in the script. It's just because the shooting took so long. They then had this
1: pumpkin festival happening nearby, and James Nguyen decided to use it. I guarantee you they did not have permits to shoot there. I am almost certain that that child on the tricycle that we watched for a while, their parents did not know that kid is in a movie.
2: Oh, yeah, that's what I kept looking at every time. It's like, that person doesn't know they're on a bad movie. They don't know they're in a bad movie. They don't know they're in a bad movie. There's no way anyone signed any waivers. No. That's an interesting point, though, that it being the fall means they've been dating for several months. Man, that was a good movie. An Inconvenient Truth. That
1: is it. I'm getting myself a car that's environmentally friendly.
2: Yeah, so so they're at this pumpkin festival, and it sounds really cool. Honestly, I kind of want to go there. It looks like a really fun town.
1: Look, it's and a real festival. Just go to Half Moon Bay in October.
2: That's true. Yeah, obviously it's real. And so later they're they're walking along the beach and uh, in their first date, she had asked him what a perfect woman is. And in this date, he's asking her what the perfect man is. So either he's just really bad at asking about her own feelings or the timeline just doesn't make sense. It could be either, honestly. It could be both. And they're talking about the future, so I assumed it was, you know, 9 or 10 months after the first date. They're talking about financial stability and jobs, and and like you pointed out, that's that's when he gives her pointers on having a fallback if modeling doesn't work out. And she's like, well, I have a boyfriend who has lots of stock options, so why do I need a backup plan? You are my backup plan. And that's when we finally see the first dead bird, and Natalie Without hesitation, just reaches down to grab the dead bird. <laughs> it's like a decayed bird on the beach.
0: She's about to just dive
2: right in with her bare hands. And it's worth noting that this bird is also clip art. It's also worth noting that the camera wasn't steady, so the background was moving, but the bird was not.
1: Yeah. Because the bird is clip art.
2: Yeah, and and uh, you know, Rod being sensible for once, is like, don't touch that bird. That's disgusting. Because it is. You should not pick up dead birds on the beach. That's good advice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's always good
1: to get medical advice, especially when Maura's not here to share it. (laughs) And then they go to the club, right? Um, No, first
2: they go to her mom's house. Oh, yes,
1: right. And her mom has not met Rod.
2: Yeah, so again, timeline's not clear. Could be nine months. Who knows? I I know people who have done stuff like that. Uh, This just, again, her mom is so enjoyable. She is so delightful. She seems genuinely interested in their relationship. She seems to like Rod. This is when she talks about how her favorite thing to do is just go on cruises. Yeah, she loves to travel. And
0: this is when they end up at the best bar in town, I'm assuming.
1: Hanging out, hanging out, (laughs) hanging out with my family. This is an Irish pub. Yeah. The exterior of this bar is an Irish pub. And it's
2: empty. They're the only people inside. I think it's just a generically British Isles pub. Because although it had the Irish flag flying outside... They had all kinds of things like Piccadilly Circus signs in there, oh, that's and a good they point. had like they had like a map of England. But yeah, I'm not sure how many British pubs have live R and B music. And it is just like this guy singing his song for a yeah, long and there's clearly time. music coming from somewhere, but they never show the piano or anything. So I guess it's piped in background music I think and live singing. Is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you can't afford a full band if you only have two customers every night. But it's also worth pointing out that the songs that he sang were original.
1: Yeah, So out with my family.
2: I I hope they got the Oscar nod. It's such a good song. And by that <laughs> I mean it is a
0: song that is stuck in my head for the rest of my life every time I watch it. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> it's a banger. Mark, did you look up the lyrics for this? Oh, I did. Let me go find some choice. The... The painting of an image is what this song does best with lines like big mama's in the kitchen and everybody's wishing that she's fixing their favorite dish. And
1: uh, and then just hanging out, hanging out, hanging out with hangin family, out. having ourselves a party.
0: Yeah. The only lyrics I could find is just some random bl- WordPress blog of someone who says, I did my best. I'm not sure they're right.
1: Young ladies are doing their makeup and the brothers can't wait to hook up. I hope not with them. <laughs> Just gots on the radio and I hear someone say hello. So grandma starts to dancing and grandma starts to prancing to make sure that the fellas don't try any glancin'. So grandma starts to dancin', and grandma starts to prancing to make sure that the fellas don't try any glancin' is a doozy of a line that raises a lot of questions. Are the grandmas dancing and prancing to stop the fellas from glancing at anyone else? To stop the boys from looking at anybody dancing because they don't want to see their grandma oh, dancing uh, there's a lot to unpack
0: all right uh i have found some answers
1: did you find damien carter's website
0: no i found a comment that damien left on the blog that says yes. Yes. you didn't get all the lyrics correct but that is okay because you understand that it is about hanging out with family what imp- how would we ever
1: get that idea
0: One <laughs> important thing that a lot of people misunderstand M-I-S-S, space, understand, is that the family is not blood-related. It is just a community of people that grew up together that gather on an annual community day, so they are allowed to hit on each other. That is what men and women do while hanging out. Hope that helps. If you guys need more insight, let me know.
1: We need a movie about this. There's so much story packed into that that didn't make it into the song. I just
0: can't believe that this man found a random blog website.
1: About. He must have a Google alert for his name. You know
0: it. Oh my god. I'm obsessed. Every time I watch it, something new presents itself to me about this movie.
1: It's got layers. So then uh. they go to the motel. Oh, somewhere in here they watch In a Giving It Truth.
2: Oh, th- yeah, that was that was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was they on, go on, a on a double, double date, date to see In a Giving It Truth. So now after they hang out with their family, they go to the motel where In a scene that recalls The Notebook, they kind of watch each other undress, only they don't really undress at all. They just watch James Nguyen's short film and then rub on each other, I guess.
2: Yeah, there's also a scene where they, like, really zoom in on their feet. Oh, yeah. I guess so that you don't have to see the actual, you know, business happening. Their feet are so dirty in that scene. It was disgusting.
1: There's a They're lot also, of like, foot stuff just, happening. There's
2: a lot of foot action
1: happening with like the two of their feet like slamming against each other.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of rubbing and tugging. It's it's oh. But Too they wake up pieces. the next
1: day fully clothed. Presumably nothing happened.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, I just want to point out that Natalie was wearing lingerie in that scene, as opposed to earlier where we see Mai, who is wearing a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's clearly a bathing suit. <laughs> It's like, does, does this woman just not own underwear? They clearly weren't swimming. Neither of them are wet. They didn't say anything about having recently swam. <laughs> Look, sometimes you've been working from
1: home for three months. You don't feel like doing laundry, but you feel like you should wear something for underwear. And that's where your bathing suit comes in. That or unfortunately,
0: James Wynn was like, I need you to wear all of your underwear and bathing suits for me so I can pick out the sexiest one. This I mean, that's enti- entirely possible. More than likely. It was probably just the most attractive thing she had, according to some man on set, which then means James Wynn, because there was no one else working on the film.
1: So the next morning they wake up, and this movie has become Birdemic. Yeah, so we are a solid 45 minutes into our 90-minute
0: film, and this is where you first get to see the birds that are
1: the Demic. These birds are, as we mentioned, basically clip art. And when they decide to attack human civilization, they attack like birds do. Dive bombing with the sound of, like, German World War II bombers screaming as they shoot towards gas stations and explode on impact. Not just at gas stations. Anytime they dive bomb anything, the birds explode on impact. See, I was reading
0: Wikipedia, and apparently at some point, someone explains that this is because of the mutations from all the pollution that the birds now explode and spit
1: poison. Whenever people would ask James Nguyen on the set, why are the birds dive-bombing? Why do they explode? Why are we carrying high-powered handguns? James Nguyen would always have the same answer, and that answer was, it's
2: a movie! See, they had that whole scene where they had the scientist and... He explained why the birds were attacking and whatnot. Which does not make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense, but he could have at least said why the birds were exploding. Because that was really concerning to me. Uh, You know, exploding birds, dive-bombing birds, freaky stuff that I I really just hope we don't see in 2020. My favorite part of that scene is, I
0: think Natalie says, The birds are attacking us, and he goes, These birds? But they're dead! (laughs) I'm just like, obviously, she
1: doesn't mean those birds. You idiot. So the birds are attacking their window when they wake up. So they throw the mattress against the window. They do nothing to barricade the door. Not even, like, flip that little hotel deadbolt thing that you put over a hotel door. They're just blocking the window. Eventually, the birds just get quiet. So they decide to go outside. And they grab... The most important defense mechanism humanity has ever known—a wire coat hanger. Well, to be
2: fair, that wire hanger was given to them. They went out there with no weapons. So the scene starts, and they said that the birds had been attacking all night, which is weird because it was light out when the birds started attacking and light out when the birds stopped attacking. So this movie's set in Alaska. Oh, okay. That that, that makes a lot of sense. It makes more sense than what actually happened. And so they're just. Walking down this hotel casually. What
1: what definitely happened is that this is one of those like rent a room by the hour motels and James Newton didn't want to pay for a night shoot.
2: Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm assuming those kinds of motels are generally busier at night. Yeah. And you know how he hates people in his scenes. So they go and they knock on this door and this guy just says, come in. Uh, no, if someone knocks on my motel door and they're not trying to hand me a towel or something, they cannot come in my room. I do not associate with fellow motel people. Well, the world is ending because of the Birdemic, so humanity
0: has to work together to overcome the bird menace.
1: This movie is really a movie about the challenges of solidarity. You think about these people, this veteran, who welcomes Rod and Natalie In and you compare that to the cowboy man who instead tries to hold them up. And what you notice is that both of them die.
0: Everyone dies, except for...
1: Our impromptu family.
0: Yeah, the impromptu family and the tree hugger.
1: That's true, the scientist also dies.
0: A woman dies while peeing in this movie.
2: Uh, no. I think she's pooping. (laughs) Yes, they explicitly say that.
1: (laughs) It's funny to me that she takes the moment to like throw the toilet paper roll down on the ground and then she's killed
0: i just love natalie is uselessly standing guard as this woman (laughs) squats down a bird (laughs) flies out of nowhere scratches her throat flies away and natalie's just like she's dead
1: natalie who has a high-powered handgun specifically to stop this from happening well the bird was very fast she didn't even see it coming i'm assuming So they meet up with a new couple. They decide that they're all going to make a run for it. Running the four of them back to back, holding wire coat hangers and waving them in the air, which is my favorite scene to imagine shooting because they're swinging at nothing. And when you watch it, because these are like clip art birds, little sprites that will just occupy one space on the screen, you have these people vigorously waving wire coat hangers that do nothing to these birds because James Nguyen cannot animate them being hit by the hangers. It is worth noting, on that tour that Severn Films sponsored, where Birdemic was shown around the country, the giveaway they gave to the audience were wire coat hangers with that paper covering you sometimes get at the dry cleaner. And James Nguyen would frequently be asked to sign people's coat hangers. I actually kind of like that. That's a very good giveaway. Yeah. And that's also a marketing team that understands what they've got, even if the director does not. Alright, yeah, so
2: they got in that they got in that scary van and again with the driving montages I, you know I, I, I assumed that it was James Wynn's like Mustang and he really loved getting shots of that. but why did he need so many shots of this like 30 year old rusted up van
0: so that you know where the characters are? <laughs> I feel like at this point, their relationship just doesn't matter anymore to get back onto the subject of love.
1: They just are together, and that's never questioned. They barely
2: speak to each other. Well, at this point, they're in survivor mode. At that point, you know, random guy and random girl get paired together. That's just how movies work. Yeah, but, I mean, that's at the beginning
1: of the movie. The comparison I'm thinking of is, like, the convenience store scene at the beginning of A Quiet Place, where we do get, like, a very meaningful sense of John Krasinski and Emily Blunt's relationship, whereas here we have similar kinds of scenes But they never interact, and James Nguyen doesn't have the skill to show a relationship wordlessly.
0: I also love that the stores are still being just, like, run as the birds are attacking. Like The guy raises the price of gas to $100 a gallon, but he's still just in his shop as birds are exploding
1: around him. Well, he's, he's an essential employee. I suppose that is true. He might be an essential employee, but like he's a primary target. The birds are targeting the oil industry. Uh. And so this is around the window too, where they get gas and then they're driving away and they pull over for some reason. And this dude in a cowboy hat points a gun at them and demands that they sell him gasoline. And they cave, they go to the back to get the gas can. At which point a bird swoops down and slashes him on the throat and he's dead. And they drive away without the gas can.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, there there's just no thought that went into both the decisions that they make on screen and the writing behind the scenes. I will shout out Whitney Moore. The, like, bird attack makeup is pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, surprisingly good.
0: They do end up with two children just along the way. They rescue two kids and no one is questioning, like, what do we do with these children? Apparently, well, they their just, parents are
2: dead. Their parents are dead, but it's just kind of like... Well, these are our kids now. Well, more importantly, during that scene where they find the kids, they're like, oh, I wonder if there's any survivors left in this world. As dozens and dozens of cars drive by them. Because they're just on the side of a, you know, random coastal highway in in California.
1: They also like never turn on radio or TV or anything. So there's no way to know if this is a localized event like in the Hitchcock movie or if it's a global birdemic. It's like kind of implied that it's global because it's global warming, but global warming doesn't affect the whole planet in the same way at the same time.
2: It's also only eagles and vultures that are attacking. I'm assuming those were the two free clip art options.
1: Well, no, we know he had parrots too. Oh yeah, forgot about those. Oh my god. So
0: I guess just like more bird-based shenanigans happen and then some doves show up
1: Yeah, and everything's fine. Yeah, the birds just leave at the end. Yeah. The birds decide not to Birdemic anymore. Yeah, so that's point five. So, you're a tree hugger? Uh, you could put it that way. I love trees. They're my family. I look out for them and protect these precious
2: redwoods. Yeah, the, they're on a beach, and these birds are attacking them, and they're shooting at the birds, and then they run out of ammo, and all of a sudden the birds just fly away. And they said something. During that last scene, but I'm not really sure what they said because the sound mixing was so bad and all you could hear was the ocean. Yeah. So I'm assuming they said something like, well, I guess these are our kids now.
0: We're parents Find out now. The sequel.
2: So the
1: sequel actually is kind of based on the reception of Birdemic. It's about a struggling Hollywood filmmaker who casts an aspiring actress in his movie and then the Eagles and Vultures attack. And Alan Bagg and Whitney Moore Come back and they like help them survive. Oh, I'm also reading that Damian Carter is in Burdemic too. Now I have to see it. Yeah, this is the most interesting thing I've ever read about it.
0: So, uh after watching all of this unfold, do you guys find the romance of this film believable?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with conditionally. If it is the nine or ten month time period, sure. I find it reasonable. I am a no, because
1: I think that, and this is partially a result of the relative skill of the actors, she is so much more interesting than he is, that she just wouldn't put up with it. Like, she would be incredibly bored and or creeped out by this bland weirdo.
0: She would never go on a second date with him. Right. I agree.
1: And presumably her career is really taken off. Yeah, she's also- She can meet other people. She's
0: a Victoria's Secret cover model. Like- who is who's this guy?
2: I figure I figured we had to s- you know suspend disbelief a little bit. He says that he's cool, so we have to assume that in this world, in this universe, he is in fact kind of cool. I think the only argument for him in this is that he is I
1: guess a fantastically rich tech guy. Mm. That's true. But still, I just don't see her engaging with this in the long term. Me neither. So Colin, where would you rate the believability of this relationship on a 10-point scale?
2: So again, uh it kind of depends on if the time frame is what I think it is or not. Assume I'm going to go with I'm assuming that it's 9 or 10 months. I'm going to go with a 7. What? <laughs> yes. What? You have to justify this. <laughs> so again, I mean We have to assume he's cool because he says he's cool. There's a lot of people that claim to be cool. There's a lot of people in the real world that say they're cool that aren't. Well, he's cool enough to make a $1 million sale. (laughs) It should have been five! It should have been five! Again, he has money. He's a terrible salesman. He has a relatively cool car 80%. It goes
1: 100 miles per gallon.
2: Yeah. Yeah, It's a plug in hybrid. It's a wonderful Mustang. I'm going to go with seven.
1: Oh, God, I love this scene where the guy comes to install the solar
2: panel at his house. The $20,000 world's smallest solar panel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, where are you going to rate this?
0: I'm going to give this, like, a two. I just yeah. don't see, based off their first interaction, I see no world where she goes out a first date with him.
1: It has to be a two. He's, like, the most incompetent conversationalist ever. He asks if she's from the area after already establishing they went to high school together.
2: That is true. Uh, So either he doesn't listen
1: to a word she says Or he's an idiot And I think he's an idiot Because I've seen him at his job Uh, Do you guys think that
0: Rod or Natalie are dateable?
1: Definitely not Rod Neither of them Probably neither
2: Maybe Natalie I don't know No (laughs) I have to say that Natalie is not Because she's willing to date Rod That's a very good point Yep If
0: you had to pick one person in this movie to date Who would you choose? Damien Carter. Damien Carter. Done. There's no other option.
2: Natalie's mom. <laughs> That's the other That's option. That's the other option. She is so sweet. <laughs> she is very nice. She is adorable. She's a retired jeweler. She's got a cute she house. She loves to travel. Yeah. She's just a fun person.
1: My other favorite performance in this movie is the guy who plays Rod's boss who announces that they've been bought. That dude is
2: just so happy about these stock options. I love it. I like the venture capitalist with the mullet. He was, he was definitely in contention there. But, you know... I want to be hanging out with my
1: family, having ourselves a party.
0: <laughs> Do you guys think that Rod and Natalie will stay together
2: and, I guess, I mean, raise these children?
1: <laughs> yeah, they've got to be this weird little family
2: now. <laughs> yeah, I kind of assume that there's only, like, four people left on Earth, so... Last man standing, they have to stay together. Okay, so many of the movies we
0: cover on this podcast are eventually adapted to the stage musical. Do you think... Birdemic, Shock and Terror should come to the Broadway stage near you anytime soon. Or I guess a stage near you or the Broadway stage. Neither of you are close.
2: I'm gonna say 100% yes. This is one of very few movies in the world where being performed on the stage would actually increase the production value. (laughs) I want to see this movie done right in this documentary that I watched the guy who was making it set up
1: James Nguyen with a conversation with a Hollywood agent to like talk through how Nguyen could get his career really rolling. And the guy kept saying like, you need to stop making burdemic stuff. So you don't just become the burdemic guy, like make a short film, show off some other kind of skill. And so then like that guy runs through it, they leave the meeting and the documentarian asked James Nguyen. So like, what do you think is the next step at this point? And he's like, well, I really need to just get a studio to commit 10 to $20 million to remake Birdemic. Like, he is laser-focused on this idea. I agree with Colin. I think this should be put on the stage. I think it would kind of work as a musical. It's so basic right now that you could build it out in a lot of interesting directions. And the birds could even be kind of cool on stage. You either do, like, dancers with, like, birds on their arm or you have, like, birds
2: swinging down from the rafters. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out, the best way to portray the birds there.
1: I think it would be very fun. Yeah, this one should definitely be done. All right, so... We should just trademark verdemic Musical. Get on that James Nguyen style.
2: You said you wanted to trademark something, Mark. Yep, there we go. I'll call my lawyer.
1: <laughs> Have you thought about trademarking trademark, but with a C at the end, like your name?
0: I, Ooh. I'm certain that that has been trademarked.
1: If you know how to trademark stuff and you can help us with that, tweet at us with hashtag trademark with a C at the end instead of a K. <laughs> All right, I think we've wrapped it up for this movie. Next week, we will be doing one of the biggest movies of the 1980s, a strange comedy directed by Leonard Nimoy. It's Three Men and a Baby. I know
0: nothing about this movie except that there are three men and a baby.
1: It was the number one film of its year.
0: All right, until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can always email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com.
1: Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular help new people to find the show.
0: All right, last question. What is the best piece of
2: dating advice you got from Birdemic? Always have a business card handy. You never know when you're going to need it. That was going to be mine. I
0: mean, it's the only thing that is effective in this movie, so I get why we both ended up there.
1: Well, there's, uh, you know, have money. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Be a Victoria's Secret cover girl. I'm going to say if you have a crush on somebody you know, pretend not to know them, then awkwardly reveal that you do know them, then just to be sure, ask them a question to try to catch them in a lie, like, are you from around here? To see if they didn't agree with you about going to high school, just to get you to stop talking. All right. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Hey, hey. hey.